Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week two is in the books. Did we learn anything this week in particular? Clemson can pretty much just like give it like 65 or 70 percent through conference play and even through their non-conference schedule. Like this was probably their toughest game on the entire schedule this year against Texas A&M. And Joey, they kind of just blew right by him. I mean, it's the final score says 24-10, you know, it says that uh, A&M covered and all that, but it was not particularly close. Uh, just Clemson's really impressive, and they can basically just not even give you their best stuff and still beat you by multiple scores. Yeah, do you think they've started etching Clemson's name in the ACC Championship trophy yet for this year? Because... <laughs> if, you're trying, if you just get on the schedule early, maybe you get a discount on that work, you know, I mean... At this point, it's Clemson and a whole bunch of not much, and then the other 13 teams, it feels like, for better or worse. Um, man, impressive performance by Clemson. Especially with the dumpster fire that is the Coastal Division. Um, yeah, let's just etch their name in now. Yeah, I was going to say, that was what I learned was the, the Coastal Division, the power structure there, not what we thought it was going to be. Um, not at all. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But let's, let's run through these games real quick, Mike. We uh, It'll be a shorter show this evening, but there's only so much to talk about with some of these. Off the top, number one, Clemson, 24. Number 12, Texas A&M, 10. Uh, this game really was a, a, not even that close. Texas A&M scores with about 10 seconds left in the game to uh, avoid 24-3 finale. Uh, really strong performance by Clemson. They were up 17-3 at halftime, and just it really felt like they coasted Texas A&M had a hell of a time moving the ball against Clemson. After last year, there was there was a lot more fireworks, and Kellen Mond had looked really good. Seems like Clemson learned from some mistakes and, and really just never really let this one get out of hand or, or in any level of doubt. Takeaways on the Clemson side for me, it's like I, they didn't look like phenomenal on offense by any stretch. I mean, credit Texas A&M's defense for you know at least holding them down somewhat. But Joey, the one big takeaway for me here. Trevor Lawrence looked a lot better than he did in the opener. Um, yep. He was on top. Of it. I mean, he threw that one interception, but he was 24 of 35, threw for nearly 270 yards, had that touchdown pass uh, to Justin Ross, which was a beautiful throw, got flushed out of the pocket, threw it against his body, and basically put it right on the money like 30 yards down the field. It was an outrageous throw. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Clemson looked really good. I mean, the, the takeaway, you know, outside of the offense, just kind of methodically just – dinking and dunking down the field and just kind of taking care of business was how strong the defense looked. I mean, Kellen Mond, he, he played much better in the second half, but in the first half, I mean, it, it was kind of comical that people were coming into this game talking about Kellen Mond like he was a great quarterback. And look, I, I think Kellen Mond's good. I don't think he's like fantastic or 
you know, a guy who, as we mentioned in the preview, Joey, a guy who can, you know, put A&M on his back if you take away, take away the run and win the game on his own. And that's something we talked about in the preview, and it kind of rained true. Clemson took away the running game of Texas A&M in this football game, and Kellen Mond could not beat the Tigers through the air. And that was really apparent. And he did play better in the second half, but it was a struggle the entire way. And they were already down and just kind of getting, as as a solid verbal would call it, crockpotted. Um, it was a 17-3 mm-hmm. game at the half. Clemson scores in the third quarter, make it 24-3. to And then, you know, Texas a and is basically just putting the ball in the air on every down because they're down three scores and they couldn't get anything going in the running game. And, and Jimbo basically just gave up on it, you know, with the play calling offensively. So I, it was just a strong performance from Clemson. A strong performance from the fan base, too, by the way, because this was a big game for Clemson, and this game was well in hand about midway through the third quarter, and it really just didn't look like A&M had any shot whatsoever at scoring or making it competitive or making it close. And I'll tell you what, man, that Clemson stadium was still full all the way to the very end, and that's coming from a guy who's part of a Virginia Tech fan base right now that struggles to keep people in the seats or even get them to go to the games. It's really impressive to see what they got going there at Clemson from a fan standpoint, from the support and everything else they're doing. So yeah, good win for Clemson here. You mentioned A&M basically abandoning the run game later in the game. And it's, let me, let me tell you the final results here, 27 carries for 53 yards. So just, just a a couple feet short of two yards per carry. That's that's not not going to get it done. No. Um, and then just to kind of further illustrate what what Clemson's defense was able to do here, the Texas A&M drive chart, three, three plays punt, five plays punt, 16 plays field goal. So you had a 16-play drive, you couldn't even get in the end zone. Four plays fumble, three plays punt, one play end of half. Three plays punt, four plays punt, five plays punt, 10 plays interception, 16 plays touchdown at the very end of the game. And, and that was with, again, 10 seconds left. So Clemson's defense was mostly just causing a bunch of three and outs, maybe four and outs. But, I mean, A&M was not able to sustain drives almost the entire game. And, and credit Clemson's defense for really just clamping down on them. Um, overall, I mean, it, it was just a really, really impressive performance for the Tigers. And it's, at this point, kind of hard to see someone else in the ACC knocking them off if, if they continue to play consistently at this level. Now, that's the only the only thing you got to keep in mind is that it does have to be a consistently playing at that level kind of thing. But um, – They've been probably as consistent, if not more so, than anybody in the ACC for the last several years. So I I don't feel too bad about it. And when we previewed Clemson's season, Joey, I think the one thing we took a look at was getting through the month of September. And from there, Clemson would essentially be home free unless South Carolina played them tough in the finale. Well, Clemson beats down Texas A&M in a game that was never really all that competitive, right? And it was one of the bigger games of the weekend. They beat them down. Next week, they go to the Carrier Dome, where they were upset two years ago and nearly upset at home last year due to Trevor Lawrence being knocked out of the game due to injury. Um, but they survived there. After what Clemson just did to Texas A&M, Joey, I'm seeing Clemson as a 24-point favorite against Syracuse Whoa. at the Dome. Yeah, Whoa. so... Look, if Clemson does what they're supposed to do against Syracuse and it's not really as competitive as it should be, which those games tend to get weird, but still, you know, it's really hard to envision Clemson really folding. And even if they have a tough game, I just don't see a team on the rest of the schedule that can really push them uh, like A&M could and, you know, maybe like Syracuse could if they were at their best, but Syracuse looked rough and we'll get into that in a minute too. 
Yeah, let's just go there now. Clemson 24, Texas A&M 10. Um, we talked on the preview here that we weren't entirely sure why Maryland was favored over Syracuse. Almost like somebody must have known something. Well, certainly somebody did know something because, my goodness, Maryland 63, Clemson – or uh, Clemson, Syracuse 20. Uh, this game was completely out of hand by halftime. Maryland scores 21 in the first quarter, 21 in the second quarter. They had a 42-13 to 13 lead at halftime. Syracuse did not look particularly sharp here. They really had a hell of a time running the ball. They come away with only 70 yards on the ground. Tommy DeVito was okay, but just – Maryland's offense was really impressive, slash Syracuse defense had a really tough time. Maryland finishes this game with 354 yards on the ground and six touchdowns. Um, So we're thinking Syracuse probably not as scary to Clemson as we were thinking they would be a couple weeks ago? Yeah, see, they're probably not as scary to Clemson, but by virtue of the Atlantic not really being all that strong outside of Clemson, by virtue of what we saw with Florida State, which we'll also get into, Joey, um, Syracuse still might be the second best team in the Atlantic. And, like, I'm high on Wake Forest, but, like, I don't know if there's another team really out there right now that can take that away from Syracuse, despite what we just saw on Saturday, which says more about the conference as a whole than it probably does um, about Syracuse itself, like Syracuse, I'm not sure is really all that good. And it's not because of the offense. It's because of the defense, which, you know, we had Nate Mink on, uh, you know, before the season, Syracuse beat writer for Syracuse.com told us that there were some encouraging signs on the defensive side of the ball from what they were seeing in camp. The only problem with fall camp is that you're not playing real opponents, right? And they got Maryland, not even Clemson yet, Maryland, and they yield 63 points. Uh, ACC alum uh, Josh Jackson, um, Virginia Tech graduate Josh Jackson, by the way, uh, 21 of 38, 296, three touchdowns in this game for Maryland. Uh, Syracuse's pass defense in particular was not very good, and you you spoke about the rushing defense as well. Maryland had four different guys, Joey, who had 60 yards or greater on the ground. They had two guys who averaged – Javon Leak, seven carries, 107 yards, two touchdowns. That's good for 15.3 yards per carry. Jake Funk, five carries, 94 yards, 18.8 yards per carry. He had a touchdown as well. Syracuse couldn't stop the run or the pass in this game. And you talk about Tommy DeVito not being as bad as he was last week because he didn't play great against Liberty. He was better. The only problem is Syracuse fell down by so much that a lot of his passing stats are a little bit inflated. They were throwing the ball a ton, trying to get themselves back into it. This is a game that got out of hand really early. Maryland was leading 42-13 to 13 at halftime. It was a game that was never really all that competitive. Just a real, real surprise. And we were texting back and forth yesterday, Joey, while the games were happening. And the one, th- the one takeaway was, hey, we thought that Maryland, we thought it was a weird line all along. I picked Syracuse because I thought they were the better team. You picked Maryland, just sheer weirdness with the line. But neither one of us saw this being a six-touchdown spread at the end of the game. The fact that Syracuse laid this big of an egg was the most shocking game of the weekend. More shocking than Florida State, more shocking than what Clemson did to A&M, more shocking than Miami losing in North Carolina. This was the shocking result of the weekend that Syracuse gave up 63 points to a Maryland team that – Joey, they've had their trials and tribulations the last five years or so. So this is a very head-scratching loss for Syracuse. Um, There's no other way to put it. And I think we can maybe think that it's 
it's not out of the question that this will start happening to some degree to Syracuse of giving up a bunch of points, especially the, the offense seems like it's, it's really struggling to sustain drives. They're having to survive completely on explosion plays right here. Like Syracuse, again, their drive chart is they're busy going down 21 to seven. It's three plays punt, four plays fumble. And now at that point they're down 14 to nothing, right? They've run seven offensive plays and, and gotten what one first down maybe. So it, it's, there's some of that that goes on. And, and of course, as, as quickly as their offense is going to play, either you're going to go out and score touchdowns and, and kind of stay competitive and turn into a shootout, or you're just going to wear out your defense and, and it's going to turn into a landslide in the second half um, where, where they're just trying to keep up. Um, and so I think give some credit to Maryland here. Um, Maryland has had some potential here for a few years. We haven't really seen it come, come to fruition. So it's not like this is just a total dumpster of a team that, that happened, you know, this happened to Syracuse here, but at the same time, Maryland has kind of struggled to attain bowl eligibility uh, for years now. And it's, I mean, they've beaten Texas and they've beaten a couple teams that they probably don't have any business beating, but for Syracuse trying to be a ranked team and trying to pose some sort of threat to Clemson and, you know, really take that next step in consistency as a program, you can't go in here and lose by six touchdowns like this. I mean, that's, that's a rough look. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to see, I, I mean, maybe we find out that Maryland is actually a pretty decent little team and they, again, they have rolled up a ton of points now just through two weeks. Things seem to be going well with Josh Jackson and Mike Loxley there, but not a good look for Syracuse, not a good look at all. And I, and I don't, I don't think it's reasonable to think that they were just looking ahead to, to Clemson next week to either. Cause if you were, man, you are really getting a little too big for your britches. If you think you're, if you think you're going to go in and try to beat Clemson without uh, even posing a fight against Maryland. Yeah. And like no disrespect to Maryland's running backs, but Look, Syracuse is going to be facing a whole different animal next week with Lynn J. Dixon and Travis Etienne. It's a little bit different than what they just faced and what they just yielded on the ground to Maryland. This is uh, it's a slippery slope, Joey. And with Syracuse, we haven't seen many losses like this in the Dino Babers era. I mean, year one's year one or whatever, but they have not they're not accustomed to losing like this. Um, the fact that their offense was held down the way that it was, too, is... Uh, and credit Maryland. I mean, definitely credit Maryland. It's just, it was very, very surprising to me that this happened. Yeah, not a great look for Syracuse. Maryland 63, Syracuse 20. Uh, let's move on. Let's go back to the Coastal Division here, Mike. And as I mentioned off the top in my, uh, my what I learned this week is the power structure in the Coastal doesn't seem to be what we thought it was. Uh, we'll say that much. North Carolina 28, Miami 25. Um North Carolina at this point, 2-0, Miami 0-2, just like we all thought was going to be the case, right, Mike? Totally. <laughs> this blew me away. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the Coastal Division. Let's put it that way. Um, so North Carolina comes in and, again, kind of lives off some explosion plays. Miami outgains North Carolina by almost 100 yards in this game. I thought Jaron Williams continues to look good. Say what we will about him holding on to the ball too long and taking sacks. That's a freshman quarterback that is not turning the ball over. Yep. And he's he's actively producing. 30 of 39 for 309 and two scores. I I mean, Miami moved the ball really well. I think they struggled to finish drives. Um, and, and that's all you can say. But North Carolina, man – it is clear that Mac Brown has that team believing in themselves. There is talent there that's being leveraged better than it ever was before. And 
North Carolina sneaky might be like the second to third best team in the Coastal Division? The question mark. I mean, there's nobody else in the Coastal that's really given me any sense of uh, encouragement. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, Miami gives up a fourth and what was it? Fourth and forever. Fourth and seventeen or something like that to to North Carolina there at the end. And yeah. you know, it's you know, Daz Newsom makes that unbelievable catch in the back of the end zone. A great throw by Sam Howell there. Um, ended up being the decisive score in the game with just over a minute to go. And, you know, Sam Howell was very good for North Carolina. This is a Tar Heels team that's playing very, very well right now under Mac Brown. Um, you know, Sam Howell, you know, we talked about impressive freshmen all over the country, right? And Sam Howell it has to be right up there. 16 of 24, 274, two scores. You mentioned Jaron Williams. I mean, a battle of two freshman quarterbacks, right? Jaron Williams being a redshirt freshman, Sam Howell being a true freshman. They put on a show yesterday. Um, they both played very well this football game. Mm-hmm. But it's a very it's a very surprising loss for Miami. Uh, the defense got exposed. Trajan Bandy got burned um, early in early in the game on uh, one of UNC's opening opening scores um, on a double move, and he the separation there was man. Uh, Ty <laughs> Brown went sixty two. It was sixty two yard catch by Brown um, on that stop and go, and Bandy was lost out there, which you don't see often. He's a very good corner. So North Carolina is feeling themselves a little bit, Joey. This is an offense that has looked very good through two weeks, and a team that can certainly contend for bowl eligibility. You know, we saw we thought that that was going to be kind of a tough thing for them to do going into the year, but we also didn't know what this second era of Mac Brown was going to look like. Joey, I don't think there's a team in the country right now. This is this might sound like a strange statement. I don't think there's a team in the country right now that has two wins. Two wins as good as North Carolina's to open the year. Mm-hmm. They beat. Now we'll learn a lot more about South Carolina and Miami, and we'll learn a ton more about North Carolina as the season goes on. But as it stands right now, non-conference victory against a, a team in South Carolina that a lot of people predicted to be right up there in the SEC East, They're a team that they were pushing along, hoping to contend with Florida and Georgia in the East. And then you beat Miami, a team that was everybody's second pick in the coastal behind UVA, a team that everybody was expecting to bounce back, a team that people were expecting to be very good after what they showed against Florida and be far and away the favorite in the coastal division, myself included, by the way, who picked Miami to win the division, came out of that Florida game a couple of weeks ago in week zero thinking, man, Miami might be all right this year. And then all of a sudden they lay an egg here. <laughs> and, and like defensively, it was just – yeah. It was rough sledding on the defensive side of the football for Miami. Just a lot of bad in this game, and it was very inconsistent and very surprising to me that it was as tough for them as it was in the Hornets' nest in Chapel Hill that is Keenan Stadium. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No one just walks in there and uh, and walks away with a win. So, (laughs) understood, Miami. Yeah. Golly, this and the thing is, I, I think I'm more disappointed in the offense, and in particular, its ability to finish these drives. So I, I look at this drive chart, and man, they are sustaining drives, and they're just not finishing them. Three plays, punt. So that's a three and out. Ten plays, field goal. Three plays, punt. Twelve plays, missed field goal. Nine plays, field goal. Six plays, touchdown. That was the first half for Miami. 11 plays turnover on downs, 7 plays touchdown, 4 plays punt, 8 plays touchdown, 7 plays missed field goal. Bubba Baxa missed 2 field goals in this game, one of them from less than 30 yards away. 
That's that was rough. very that uh, was very rough because that was a field goal they absolutely needed, and that was Shanks. I yeah. mean, not Shank. I mean, just pushed it, but that was just that's a rough miss there. Yeah, he's generally been a really good kicker for them, and to, and to have those misses that was really costly in this game that they lost by a field goal. By the way, right. Um, so I, I mean, all these it, it was like a combo of three and outs and long sustained drives that were barely getting three points. I mean, and that's that is not a good look for Miami. So the, the red zone offense is going to have to be a work in progress here for Danny Enos and his offense. Um, I feel like there's a lot to build on here for Miami. It's just kind of tighten up some of the screws around the edges and you know just just finish those drives. That's it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they they gained a lot of yards and, and and all this. And I mean, North Carolina for all that they did offensively, they had to survive on a few explosion plays, right? So that's. That's going to happen with Miami's defense from time to time, but I still think Miami could still pose a threat in the Coastal Division, but this is a rough, rough loss to start their conference slate if they're really looking to make a run back to Charlotte knowing that they've they've still got basically a, a number of the tougher teams in the division coming up. Or at least the teams that we think are going to be tougher. But <laughs> In theory, yeah. Once yeah. again, we don't know a damn thing about this power structure in the Coastal right now. No, we don't. We don't know a lot about anything right now like mm-hmm. it's it's uh through two weeks I mean there's been you know some aspects that have been relatively predictable and there have been other aspects that uh, have you know I've come away very surprised by and Miami losing to North Carolina is something on paper I did not expect um coming into the year and this is hey I'm very impressed with Mac Brown I mean I we all knew he's a good coach and he you know he's won a national championship and he's got the pedigree and everything that he's done in North Carolina the first time into Texas but this was this was kind of an undertaking right taking over North Carolina after the last two seasons that they had under Larry Fedora and the fact that he's already got them 2-0 and with two really impressive wins says a lot about what he's building there and rebuilding at North Carolina and this is a team that can certainly uh, certainly contend for a bowl game this year, for sure. By the way, huge day for Tomon Fox for North Carolina's defense. Three sacks in this game from the defensive end position. So um, as much as we talked about not being sure if this whole coordinator marriage was going to work out well, seems to be working, Mike. So far, so far so good. Tomon Fox, by the way, uh, Virginia Tech whipped on him, so that hurts. So, yeah, so did Georgia Tech. It's fine. Good player. North Carolina 28, Miami 25. Um, Got to keep an eye on Miami and see kind of where this season goes, because it has not started in the way that they were really hoping it would. I think um, they'll be okay. I, I do. But that would that's just, man. Yeah, I think they'll be okay, too. I mean, this is – but this is not – this is not what people had in mind, I think, with the uh, quote-unquote new Miami and Manny Diaz era starting out. So, going to be – we'll probably talk about Miami here in a little while later in the podcast, put it that way. Um Let's move on, Mike. Florida State, 45. Louisiana Monroe, 44 in overtime. Louisiana Monroe misses an extra point in overtime to lose this game. Um, go for two. Why didn't they go for two? Yeah. I don't know. Go Yeah, go for two. Like, you're on the road. You're a big underdog. You're in overtime. Like, one play to win the game, run that play. You, you've got something in the playbook there. Let's back up here, Mike. Uh, Florida State did basically the same thing that happened last week. Got out to a big lead. The game was over. We all changed to watch a different game, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, what the hell? Florida State's going into overtime with Louisiana Monroe? I'm sensing a trend, Joey. I'm sensing a trend as well, Mike. Um, Florida State comes out just, you know, hitting on all cylinders. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown on the first three drives. 
they kicked a field goal right before halftime. They're up 24 to seven. Um, and then at that point it got messy for the offense. Uh, from there it was punt, punt, interception for a touchdown, fumble, then touchdown, interception, touchdown, punt, and, you know, end of regulation, finally scoring a touchdown in, in, in overtime. But I don't know what it is about Florida State's offense right now that they they just like disappear for large stretches of the game, and it really just ends up wearing on the defense. And it's this is not a good look for Florida State to barely win this game. We thought that they were going to just absolutely roll Louisiana Monroe. Figured they needed to for the sake of perception and, and getting the fan base involved. And man, they were up twenty four to seven, and damn near gave it away. They had to score late to. Uh, take the lead back from Louisiana Monroe is I, man, I don't know what I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing from Florida state right now, Mike. So this is something that I really don't like to do because I don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but Willie Taggart is in so far over his head, Joey. Mm-hmm. So far over his head. He's yeah. dead man. He's dead man walking. Um, this is not going to work at Florida state, which with Willie Taggart, it's just not, um, it really doesn't seem to be. I've seen enough. I mean, I, I look. I, I've seen enough to know that it's not going to work. I haven't seen enough to like fire him yet, but I can see it coming to that at some point. Whether it's at the end of this year, if they give him a third year, okay. Like, I, do you see Florida State winning more than seven or eight games based off what you see in these first two? I mean, this is. It feels like it's going to be a struggle again for bowl eligibility, which is surprising. I think I picked them to win eight. Um, I can't remember what you said, Joey. You said eight or nine, I think. Um, I think, yeah, eight sounds about right. Yeah. It's either eight or nine for me. Yeah. Um, I just, let's start here. UL Monroe, Caleb Evans, younger brother of former Virginia Tech quarterback, Gerard Evans. They they look exactly the same, um, which is very weird. Um, <laughs> Evans, 23 of 38, 241, two touchdown passes. He was very good in this game. Uh, what was more impressive to me was UL Monroe's ability to run the football. Josh Johnson, 26 carries, 126 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Caleb Evans, we mentioned what he was able to do through the air, but much like his brother Gerard, he's also a weapon on the ground. He only had 32 yards rushing in this game, but he had two scores on the ground. So he accounted for four touchdowns by himself. Flip side, uh, Florida State. Talk about James Blackman, pretty uneven day. So the good news is he completed 75% of his passes. The bad news is he threw two interceptions, including a pick six. He did have three touchdown passes, 282 through the air. Their passing game for me right now doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence. And it's been uneven. Like, Blackman looked okay last week. He looked okay uh, last night against UL Monroe. They give the ball to Cam Akers 36 times for 193 yards and two touchdowns. That's, that's great. The problem is you only won this game by a point and he carried the ball 36 times. Like he's the guy who's carrying your offense and leading to more consistency right now. The issue is you can't give it to him 60 times. So what are you going to do? And that's only the start of their issues. And defensively, it's been a total mess. That's probably the bigger issue for Florida State through a couple games. It's kind of the flip side of last year. We looked at this team this year, Joey, when we previewed them. We said Florida State, defensively, they're probably going to be fine. They just got to play at the same level they've kind of been playing to um, over really over the last like five or ten years. I mean, they were an elite defense. Then last year they were just okay, but they were better than the offense. The offense – for everything we've been worried about with Florida State with the offensive line, which is still an issue, right? It's definitely still an issue, but it's not as bad as it was last year. They're picking up yards or scoring points. 
defense through two games is what I'm most worried about. And we talked about the inconsistency on offense, but if your defense just makes a couple more stops, like you're probably two and zero right now. Um, and, and this game against UL Monroe is probably not a one point game. You probably win this game by multiple scores. So there's just not really any consistency with this game. If the offense is struggling, the defense is playing well, defense is struggling, offense might be playing well. They just can't put it all together right now. And there's plenty of talent on this team and time for them to turn it around. But there's not a lot I've seen out of the coaching of Willie Taggart that inspires a whole lot of confidence in me that this is going to work either throughout this year or beyond. I just don't see it. This was a surprising result. Um, not as surprising as that Syracuse-Maryland game, but this was a surprising result to me because I thought Florida State would cover the spread. Um, I wasn't anticipating them being in overtime against UL Monroe. Um, but even so, it's like, man, this is what we've seen out of Florida State now for the last couple of years, and it's it's a problem. It's not something I thought we would ever come to with this program and the pedigree that they have and how they recruit and the whole nine yards. It's just it's strange times in Tallahassee. Yeah, it's a huge problem. The offensive line, as you mentioned, still a, a major work in progress. They they had some real issues there through the middle part of this game. Um, and that's where you saw Florida State's offense really stall out. Uh, Florida State scores a touchdown about a minute into the second quarter. Uh, they, they scored another touchdown on a drive that started about three minutes left to go in the third quarter. In between there, it was three and out, three and out, nine plays field goal, uh, four plays punt, three and out, interception return for a touchdown, fumble. And that's where you saw your lead go from 21 nothing to 24-21. As meanwhile, the defense is just out there getting ga- – I mean, the, the fact that you gave up an extra seven points by the offense, turning it over and having a pick six like that, I mean, it's just not helping. I don't know. This isn't looking good. And I, I don't know that necessarily there's a whole lot that Willie Taggart is going to do to get fired this year. Correct. I, if I remember correctly, his contract is still pretty substantial, and he's – I mean, he's not going to be kicked out of there just yet, but right. Stephen Godfrey made some comments, I think either on maybe podcasting Play Nobody or on Twitter last week, basically talking about how the issues that Florida State are having are, are way more than this surface level, you know, scheme and execution. I mean, it, it is an issue that really runs deep within the program right now in terms of just pure ability to execute and trust in the coaching staff and all this stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's not a good situation. And so what you're saying about Willie Taggart being in over his head, I think that's probably where you're looking at this in over your head status is like, there are some really, really deep seated issues with this Florida state program right now. And I don't know necessarily if he's, if he's going to fix them or if he does like exactly how long it's going to take and, and whether Florida state fans are really willing to be patient for that. I don't know. Yep. It's, it's not a good situation though. Weird times. Yeah, well, I yeah, I'm Florida State had a uh, a record bowl streak of 36 years or something like that. It ended last year. I'm not so sure it's going to be restarting this year. Um, we will have to see. I can't believe we're at that. I mean, through two weeks, we're at that point, and uh, it's a one point win against UL Monroe for your first victory of the season, and a, a huge blown lead against Boise State that you end up losing in Week One. So it's whoo, man, not good. Yeah. Florida State has found new and creative ways to completely erode people's confidence in them here in the first two weeks of the season. So what could have been potentially like the second or third best team in the ACC at this point is probably middle of the road at best, based on what we've seen so far. But a lot of football to be played, Mike, I guess. I'll say that. 
Florida State, 45, UL Monroe, 44 in overtime. Uh, let's move on a less high-scoring game. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 14, South Florida, 10. Uh, good performance from Georgia Tech's defense, I thought. Um, they, they continue to look pretty dang good. Um, they had a, a forced fumble that they caused in the, in the fourth quarter that was like basically on the goal line that saved a touchdown from being scored by USF. I think to me, the thing that I got to talk about more here is Georgia Tech's offense. It is a, oh my gosh, I, I called it on Twitter. I call it college football's weirdest variety show right now. There is a complete lack of identity there. Um, and, and it's, it feels like Mike, as if somebody has is like sitting up in the booth playing Madden and has hit the random button and it's just calling random plays without rhyme or reason as to formation or down in distance, a lot of things. It doesn't matter what's working, what's not. Personnel. Personnel, yeah, I don't know. Um, Georgia Tech was actively substituting quarterbacks, like not only in the middle of drives, but in the middle of series. Um, like you'd have Lucas Johnson on first down and then bring in James Graham for second down and stuff like this. I mean, it was so weird to watch, and it, it did not work really. Um the run game still seems to work fairly well. I don't know why they go away from it as much as they do. Um, Jordan Mason looks pretty good again, 20 carries for 99 yards and a touchdown. Tobias Oliver looked pretty good in the run game, nine carries for 48 yards and a touchdown. Like, that was all good. Georgia Tech's quarterbacks also completed 14 passes for a grand total of 76 yards in this game. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know what's going on here, Mike, and and it's I it, it makes me um, it makes me really nervous about what's going to come you know farther down the line. This is not one of the better defenses that they're going to play, and the fact that there was just such a grab bag of whatever the hell was going on in this game, I feel like this offense was probably a little more indicative of what we're going to see throughout the year than what we saw against Clemson. That was just extremely simple, ground and pound, that kind of thing. If this is what we're going to see for the rest of the year. I I hope Georgia Tech can go you know two and zero in their next two games against the Citadel and Temple because winning is going to be tough sledding after that if that's the case. All right, so let's start with the good. First of all, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. We, you know, I saw all your tweets and we've talked about it off the air and so I I agree with everything you said. But let's get to this real quick. Before the season, we said that Georgia Tech had to win a handful of games to make this a successful season. This was one of them. Mm-hmm. So let's start. Let's start there. This is a game that they needed to win in year one with Jeff Collins because wins were going to be hard to come by. They won it. So this is your first winnable, truly winnable game because week zero you play Clemson or week one. I'm sorry, week one you play Clemson. <clears throat> you knew that wasn't going to be competitive. It wasn't. This was the first winnable game on the schedule. Georgia Tech wins it. So let's start there. Um, first winner of Jeff Collins. Yes, exactly. First one for Jeff Collins. All that is good. They did it at home. South Florida got shut out by Wisconsin last week. They came back and Georgia Tech found a way to get it done. So let's start there. That was that was a good win. Um, the defense is fine. Now, I don't know how fine it's going to be in November, mostly because I think this offense is going to absolutely suck for the entirety of the season. That's mm-hmm. the problem. It's not a it's it's nothing against these players. They do not fit the scheme that Jeff Collins and his staff want to run, which we knew in the opener when they were still running option concepts against Clemson, which I was a fan of, by the way, because that's who you have on the roster. This is a situation at quarterback that is completely untenable for all involved. 
Georgia Tech's biggest opponent right now and toughest opponent is the forward pass. It was the case against Clemson, and Clemson's defense is a whole different animal than South Florida's, for sure. Clemson is by far the toughest defense that Georgia Tech will play on the whole schedule. But Georgia Tech needs to find a way to get something out of the passing game because they have gone away from the run that's made them successful all the years under <clears> – sorry, I'm dying over here – all the years <laughs> under Paul Johnson. They went with that option run. They were so good at it. It didn't matter if they threw or not. Now you're going away from it because you have a new coaching staff and installing a new offense and you need to figure something out in the passing game because the running game is just not going to be as good as it was under Paul Johnson. So that's where we're at with Georgia tech. They're rotating quarterbacks. They're rotating running backs in, um, the, the weird the weirdness with quarterback is creeping me out where they're doing it's not even they're switching drives they're just switching downs and plays it's like okay Lucas Johnson you're in Tobias Oliver you're in James Graham you're in like it's what is happening um so there was occasionally there were times where there were two quarterbacks in the same formation Tobias Oliver's lining up as a wide receiver like what the hell is going on I have a question too is this uh you know, maybe Jeff Collins just says, hey, these guys are all above the line. They all deserve a chance to play. And maybe that was it. I guess. I, I think maybe that's the concept. If that's the case, you have too many quarterbacks above the line. Somebody's got <laughs> somebody's got to step back here. I mean, Tobias Oliver ran back the opening kickoff, by the way. So, like, and, and I get I get it to some degree. Is that, And they talked about this on the broadcast, is that the, the staff tends to think that Tobias Oliver can be a next-level player just not at the quarterback position. He right. is he is a runner, a skill player kind of guy that um, has been lining up under center for Paul Johnson and then is kind of still being kept at quarterback for some reason or other. But um, he's capable of doing things with the ball in his hands and find different ways to get it in his hands. Totally fine by me. I'm totally yeah. good with that. Yeah. I, long story short, good win for Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't know what this offense looks like from here, but it's something we're going to want to keep an eye on. Um, because this is going to be interesting this year. It really will be. Um, Lucas Johnson, by the way, I, I've been pretty disappointed with what I've seen from him so far. Um, he He's struggling with pocket presence. And, and to be fair, in his defense, I get it, because the offensive line suffered multiple injuries in this game that got to hope that those are not kind of major injuries that kind of bleed into following games. Because as Kelly Quinlan mentioned before the season, Georgia Tech does not have a lot of offensive linemen that they really trust playing in these games right now. And so if if you lose one or two offensive linemen, this immediately becomes a, a probably worse than Florida State situation offensively, especially like if you look at what we saw last year from the Seminoles. Yep. I mean, it's it probably makes that look desirable, put it that way. Um, yeah. I don't know. A lot of weirdness here. Uh, by the way, Presley Harvin, the punter. Oh. Man, he was bombing some punts in this game. He had multiple 55-yard punts in this game. Uh, He's good. Yeah, he pinned South Florida inside the 24 times in six punts. Um, he, he was really, really good. So uh, credit to him. He is uh, he's a ball player. Oh, yeah. Georgia Tech 14, South Florida 10. Going to be real curious to see if Georgia Tech's offense continues to look like a total a, a total clown show. Not, not, not a clown show. Let's call it a circus. Yeah. Circuses are at least kind of fun, but certainly ridiculous. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Michael, let's talk about your team real quick. Virginia Tech 31, Old Dominion 17. This game never really felt like it was in doubt. But, man, you would have really liked to see Virginia Tech kind of pull it together a little more uh, a little more consistently throughout the course of this game. Yeah, total lack of consistency. Um, I'll tell you when it felt like it was a little bit questionable. Um, Old Dominion scores late third quarter, early fourth, and cuts it to 24-17. Uh, Virginia Tech subsequently returns the ensuing kickoff like 74 yards to set themselves up for a touchdown to put it back up to two scores and make it 31-17. Brian Willis looked better. Uh, He was 16 of 28, 272, two touchdowns. He lost a fumble late. Um, He actually, they didn't review this for targeting, but he took a pretty good shot to the head right before he fumbled it. So it's... He did a better job overall taking care of the ball. Virginia Tech did as a whole. Um, they ended up turning it over twice, both in the fourth quarter, um, but they never ended up really being all that costly. Uh, just total inconsistency. The defense played very well for about two and a half quarters, but the offense stalled out a bit in the third, and the defense got tired, and that was clear. So Old Dominion scores on consecutive possessions to get, get to cut the lead from, I believe it was 24-3 to uh, 23-17. Um, and it was or 24-17, I'm sorry, and it was just, it was tough. Um, You know, the fans all of a sudden who were getting ready to leave the stadium were like, okay, let's stick around because this is getting a little bit dicey, Uh, but just no consistency. They're getting nothing out of the running game right now. Um, It's, the running game's broken, Joey. There's no other way to put it. Um, The running game is just broken right now. So 39 carries for 131 and two touchdowns for the entire group, 3.4 yards per carry is not, enough to get it done against a team like Old Dominion. Um, You're facing far better defenses on the rest of the schedule. So not great, but you get the win. So it's fine. Just inconsistent. They they don't look great right now. They're doing enough to win against opponents who are not going to be very good on the schedule. ACC play as we get into the teeth of it is really going to interest me. Are we going to see more like the BC game last week, or is it going to be more like 10 to 12 to 14 point wins? I, I think it's going to be the latter, Joey. Yeah, run game, as you mentioned, definitely not looking good right now. And it, and honestly, it hasn't. I feel like it hasn't for Virginia Tech for like three years now. It's it's basically been since that first year under Justin Fuente that the run game maybe looked decent. But the last two years and so far this year, I have not been impressed by what I've seen from Virginia Tech on the ground. The other thing I don't get here, Mike, is not only that it doesn't look that great, but that there just seems to be this real heavy emphasis on like – it's like Virginia Tech is hellbent on running the ball – when it, it's just not going particularly well. 39 carries. To, yeah, to only 28 passing attempts. Like, we talked coming into the year that the, the depth on this team is in the receiver position. Use your receivers. And, and, and even if you are only kind of, quote, unquote, simulating a run game with bubble screens and some things like that, like, simulate your run game that way, but use your receivers and all that talent and, and get the ball out into space rather than trying to continue running into this offensive line that has been a mixed bag at best. And three starters were out yesterday on the offensive line, too. So they got they got young quickly. A couple freshmen started yesterday. So I'd love to blame 
the running game or lack thereof on the fact that there were freshmen starting on the offensive line, but the running game's been broken for about eight years. So yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, so especially then, I don't understand how sixty percent of your play calls are, are running, you know, running plays. But whatever, um, it got the job done against Old Dominion, I guess. So at least there's that. It was um, the turnovers. It was the turnovers last week with Willis that I think made made things a little bit more dicey. They wanted to run the ball, but again, uh, he's not fit to run a, a spread option running type system, which is what they continue to want to do in the running game. So it's offensive identity is not there. Um, so they're gonna have to figure that out. Yeah, continues to be kind of bizarre for me because this this still doesn't really look like the offense that uh, Justin Fuente was running at Memphis when he when he came in, and really the offense he ran the first year he's at Virginia Tech. So I don't know, right? I I don't know what what exactly this is or where it came from or why there just seems to be this hellbent nature of trying to run it. Yeah, and real quick, Joey. So they had Gerard Evans in 2016 and Fuente's first year with the program, and. Gerard Evans was such a good runner from the quarterback position. Virginia Tech hasn't had that since then. And I think I think that Evans covered up a lot of the issues that existed in the running game even then um, because they weren't the greatest team running the football with their running backs even in his first year. But the running game and the offense as a whole looked a lot more complete. So I, I think the lack of having that kind of guy, a quarterback who can throw the ball effectively, run just as well, you know, they just haven't had that in the last few years. So it's... Anyway, it'll be interesting yeah. moving forward to see what they do. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep moving here. Virginia Tech 31, Old Dominion 17. Uh, Wake Forest 41, Rice 21. Rice put up a, a little more of a fight than I think we necessarily expected them to, but overall really good performance from Wake Forest. Um, another uh, another game that never really felt in doubt. Um, Rice was scoring with them in the first quarter, but Wake leads 24-14 to 14 at halftime and uh, eventually just puts this one away in the third quarter. So, um, good day from Jamie Newman, uh, 21 to 27, three, 12, uh, three touchdowns, uh, a lot of yards on the ground. One, uh, one run in particular got him there. Uh, Wake Forest got a 96 yard touchdown run out of Kenneth Walker, the third, that was pretty good. They were backed up in their own end of the field and, uh, flipped that really quickly. So, uh, really just a, a ho-hum good win for Wake Forest going on the road and getting it done. And, uh, the over hit, most importantly. The over did hit, and we were both very happy about that, texting actively all throughout. Um, the over did hit. Yeah, I was sweating out at the end. Yeah, it, it was a little bit closer than it should have been there in the fourth quarter as far as the over-under was concerned. Um, mm-hmm. Jamie Newman is slowly becoming one of – and not even slowly. When you look at his emergence late last year, he's quickly becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, mm-hmm. And this is – you know, it's Lawrence and it's Bryce Perkins, and Jamie Newman is right there. He's the same type of quarterback as Bryce Perkins is, um, and he shows a little bit of shiftiness in the pocket. Not to the degree, that, not to the same degree of Perkins, but he's been very, very good. So uh, keep an eye on Wake. The defense still isn't great. They gave up some big plays in this game to Rice, but you know this offense can score with anybody that they play. So keep an eye on that. Scotty Washington, by the way, seven catches for 158 yards and two ball scores. Players. Big day for him to Wake Forest. Yeah, ball players, right? Wake 41, Rice 21. We'll keep moving. Pittsburgh 20, Ohio number or Ohio, not number 10. Ohio 10 points uh, to t- Pittsburgh's 20. Pretty good day from Kenny Pickett here. Uh, 26 to 37 for 321 and a touchdown. They ran the ball decently. Uh, A.J. Davis, 13 carries for 89 yards. Um, Vincent Davis, 12 carries for 50 yards. Um, the law firm of Davis and Davis there in the oh, yeah. Pittsburgh backfield. But 
Uh, big day for Marie, Maurice for French. 10 catches, 138 yards and a touchdown. He, he did have a, a bit of a muff on a punt that wasn't great, but um, had a really good kick return uh, to uh, – or punt return, excuse me, to uh, make up for that. This was a dangerous spot for Pitt, and they, they came away with the win, so credit to the Panthers. And you know what? They jumped out to an early lead. Um, you know, they really – the second quarter was impressive in particular, uh, what they were able to do before halftime. And, you know, taking that 17-6 to lead into the break – um, and really just all throughout, just kind of ensuring that they kept Ohio at arm's length. It was something that Virginia Tech couldn't do with Old Dominion. This Pittsburgh game felt a lot differently than the Virginia Tech one. It felt like Pittsburgh was up a few scores, but it was never really in doubt. For Virginia Tech, they went up a few scores, but then they kind of screwed around for a while and let uh, let Old Dominion back into it. It didn't have that same feel here. And this, and this is a better Ohio team, by the way. Ohio is much better than Old Dominion. And this is a very good win for Pittsburgh. It's one of one of the better wins of the weekend for the ACC as a whole, I think. Um, and look, I've been a vocal proponent or lack thereof uh, for Kenny Pickett, and he was very impressive. So um, props to him on a strong performance. Yeah, we got good Kenny Pickett there on Saturday. Um, we did. Yeah, really good offensive out, out, uh, performance here for Pittsburgh with 481 yards of offense. So that's a uh, at least good for setting the pace for what you want to do moving forward, and especially if you're going to be exactly balanced with 37 pass attempts, 37 rushing attempts. So uh, good on you, Pitt. 20 to 10 winners over Ohio. A uh, few more here to clean up, Mike. Duke 45, NCANT 13. Uh, Duke leads 28 to 10 at halftime and, and just kind of cruised from there. Quentin Harris, 30 of 42, 345 and four scores. Uh, big day for Duke. Could have been a dangerous game, but uh, never really, again, never really in doubt for Blue, for the Blue Devils. Uh, definitely could have been a dangerous game because A&T is low-key kind of decent in the FCS. And uh, Duke, mm-hmm. Duke just took care of business. So a very good win uh, for the Blue Devils. Uh, Joey, the Hokies have them, and I guess coming up in three weeks, and that is a concerning spot even at home. And so I've been really keeping a close eye on what Duke's been doing here in the first couple weeks of the year. Uh, but this was a very good win on Saturday for the Blue Devils for sure. Yeah, good look, good way to come off of the uh, the Alabama game and, and look really good. Not really uh, showing any signs of a hangover or anything from the, the physical performance that was. Quentin Harris threw four touchdowns and ran for another. Um it looks like he can throw the ball okay, which wasn't really the case against Alabama. So, good for him. So, if Daniel Jones is drafted sixth overall, does that mean Quentin Harris should be, like, fourth overall based on what we're seeing? I, I think so. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll take notes. Um, I don't, neither of my teams are going to need a quarterback in the next couple of years, but maybe he's a good stash for later. I don't know. Duke 45, NCAA and T13. Let's keep moving. Virginia 52, William and Mary 17. Um, Bryce Perkins, a couple interceptions in this game. That's not the best look. Um, they got some Brennan Armstrong action coming in. Uh, quarterback word number 98. 9 to 10 for 103 yards. That was fine. A um, couple hundred yards on the ground for Virginia. Overall, again, just, I mean, it was 35 to 3 at halftime. This game was never in doubt. Good performance for the for the Cavaliers here. Uh, coming away with five sacks defensively for the, for the record. So good for the Cavs. Defense looked really good. Uh, Joe Reed had a hundred yard kickoff return where he kind of just reversed field and took it up the sideline. So that was, that was pretty dope. Um, he's a good player. Uh, yeah. Bryce Perkins just kind of looked okay. Um, he looked much better on the ground. They did through the air in this game. He threw two pretty inexplicable interceptions. They were just really poor decisions, which we don't see often out Bryce Perkins, but 
it's we're nitpicking. Uh, it was never competitive. Virginia looked really good throughout this entire game. 52, 17. Um, I, look, they're, they're real good. They're, you know, I, I said after the Florida game and in, in the opener for Miami, that I thought Miami was going to be the favorite in the coastal division. Um, in, in my opinion, but after seeing what I saw on Saturday, for Miami struggling through the North Carolina game and ultimately losing. And what I've seen out of Virginia here in the first couple of weeks, Virginia looks like the lead horse um, as we enter week three here. They look really, really good. By the way, Brandon Armstrong no longer wearing number 98 at the quarterback position, so I can trust him again. We're good. Fair. Good He's wearing number 10. Wearing number 10 now, which is a more uh, more appropriate quarterback number, in my opinion. Humble opinion. Thank God. <laughs> Virginia, yeah. Virginia 52, William & Mary 17. Uh, NC State 41, Western Carolina nothing. NC State continues to roll through an uh, easy schedule early on. They get West Virginia next, and West Virginia may or may not be any better than Western Carolina is. So seems like it's going to be a real, real easy takeoff here for NC State uh, to start the year. Matthew McKay looked good, 18-28 at 28 for 200 and a touchdown. Uh, Zonovan Knight, 18 carries, 119 yards and two scores, so – Another good win for NC State. Uh, West Western Carolina did not have much of any anything to bring to the table here in this game. That West Virginia comment was so cold blooded. How you just stuck that in there? <laughs> <laughs> they might not be that much better than West Western Carolina. Well, you might, you also might not be wrong, by the way. Um, yeah, a little bit of a slow start for NC State in this game. It was only three nothing after the first quarter. Um, took them a while to kind of get going offensively, but once they did, this thing was never in doubt. They scored three times before halftime. It was 24 nothing at the break, and then from there, they just cruised on in. Um, yeah, good performance from NC State. Might want to get the offense started a little bit quicker next time, but other than that, once they got rolling, this thing was over. Western Carolina runs 46 plays for 106 yards in this game, so that's a good performance in the NC State defense. Um, keep that up. Their defense has been pretty good here in the early going been a, a good start for them and again with a little bit of rebuilding to have to do on that side of the ball this year so good on you nc state uh boston college 45 richmond 13 um anthony brown throws eight he goes eight for 14 for 163 and three scores so that's efficient if nothing else um for the boston college e- uh, defense um i mean Gave up a lot of yards to Rich, Richmond in this game, but only 13 points, so that's fine. But I don't know. I, I mean, this could have been a little bit more of a dominant win, you, you'd say, if you're Boston College. Yeah, it's weird to say that after you win a game 45-13. to 13, But, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and BC was up huge early. I mean, it was – I mean, it was 30, what was 35 10 at halftime? I mean, this game was over, but at the same time, it was like, man, yeah. they're giving up a ton of yards. It's like bend but don't break all the way through. Um, yeah, Anthony Brown, super weird stat line. There were a number of those across college football on Saturday, uh, some really weird ones. Um, Jake Fromm was like 10 of 11 with like three or four touchdowns. It's weird. Anyway, um, yeah. Probably. Um, yeah, but BC ran the ball. For 346 yards, they're averaging almost seven yards per carry. So, yeah, I mean, good win for BC. Defense, um, maybe some minor cause for concern, just given, you know, the yards they gave up to Virginia Tech and what they just gave up to Richmond. Just something to keep an eye on. Again, they only gave up 13 points, so we don't want to just sound the alarms quite yet. But, um, yeah, just kind of a weird, uneven game for BC's defense. But they still, you know, they force a couple turnovers and they get the job done there, I guess. And, it was never really in doubt, so I don't want to come down too hard on, on him here, but it was it was an uneven performance for sure. 
I guess I'll give a little bit of credit to Boston College's defense that they they were kind of putting up with a lot in this game with some of the yardage that they gave up. Boston College only held the ball a couple seconds short of 22 and a half minutes. Boston College's defense was on the field for a lot of this game. A ton. A ton. Yep. So, yeah. So give them a little bit of credit that they were uh, they were putting up with a lot here. So that's not the best, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Boston College scores 45 points and wins big, so – only so much, only so much, so much criticism can be handed out here, Mike. So, in any case, for sure. yep. BC forty-five, Richmond thirteen. Last one, Mike. Louisville forty-two, Eastern Kentucky zero. A shutout win for the first win of the Scott Satterfield era here in under uh, here at Louisville. Uh, big win. Jawan Pass twelve of nineteen, one ninety-six, four touchdowns and a pick. Um, and by the way, Tutu Atwell takes a fifty-yard shovel pass early in the game for a touchdown. Um, he continues to be a, a really good player. Marshawn Ford with a couple of receiving touchdowns. Um, Malik Cunningham got in the end zone, ran the ball uh, for Louisville. I don't know what else to say. Louisville uh, looks really good and, and, and against a, a non-formidable opponent, we'll say. But, um, again, Louisville seems to be playing with some confidence, and they seem to be really bought into what the coaches are selling. And that's a really good sign for early, this early in the year and this early in the tenure. Definitely. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched this game because I didn't. Um, but I did watch the highlights. I did see that shovel pass. 2-2 Atwell's a stud. I mean, he looked really good against Notre Dame and he looked great again on Saturday. Um, and this one against Eastern Kentucky. Um, Jawan Pass, uh, I believe the tied his career high with four touchdown passes. So that's really good. He, The biggest takeaway for me over the first two games for Louisville is the comfort that Jawan Pass has now in this offense, which is huge. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big deal. So continue to get him comfortable, continue to, you know, inspire some confidence with your, with the play of your defense. And you know what, who knows what Louisville ends up doing this year. The Atlantic is all over the place. The coastal's wide open. I don't want to write off any team in particular, even in a rebuild, because we see what's happened with Louisville here in the first two weeks. It looked pretty good. We see, we see North Carolina two and O and they're supposed to be rebuilding. Um, you know, Miami's supposed to be really good. They're not. You know, Virginia Tech's uneven. There's just a lot of uncertainty in the conference as a whole. So who knows what Louisville ends up doing, even with what we think is a pretty tough schedule. So just keep playing well, keep coaching them up well, and who knows where you're going to end up at season's end. Absolutely. There is all sorts of weirdness, clearly, that we have not yet seen in the ACC this year. So keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike, you want to give some awards? Yeah, I think we have to. I think we have to. We The, the Go ACC moment of the week not to pile on Florida State, but we have to go back to Tallahassee with this. If you want the uh, – what we saw was the perfect embodiment of what is going on in Tallahassee right now, it was your Go ACC moment of the week. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them about it? Yeah, so I guess they're saying it was a designed play this way, but they had a receiver line up facing the wrong way, um, literally got to the line of scrimmage and was facing the opposite way that the offense was going, which – you can say that's play design, but also don't put it past Florida State to do something that stupid, like like without trying. Um, <laughs> gr- granted, like Cam Akers, you know, did well here, picked up a bunch of yards on that play and ended up being like a successful play. So if that was the design of the play, like fine. But I mean, you've now become a meme on the Internet and you're Florida State and you're barely winning against UL Monroe. So uh, go ACC to that. This felt like a callback to that uh, Florida-Georgia Southern game years ago where the two offensive linemen for Florida were blocking each other. Like, this looked like something from, like, a video game where something glitched. And yeah. everybody everybody is perfectly in formation, just as you expect, except this one guy is facing backwards. 
He's in a, yeah. like a, a track wide receiver stance and everything. And it just, yeah, I don't know. Go ACC, Florida State. Um, keep doing you. Make sure good podcast content at the very least. So uh, right. The uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried award. Uh, Mike, we talked before. I, I think we need to give a, a, a co-recipient here. Um, I think this has to go not only to Miami, but to Syracuse after this week. Man, these two teams, you tried to live up to preseason expectations, and it is not going well right now. Um, Miami, by the way. Not great. No. Miami, by the way, Cam came on this uh, the, the season preview podcast and was talking about how this team real, realistically could have like an 11-win upside. It's week two. That's mathematically impossible. So that's going great, Miami. Um, not good. And then Syracuse, again, we, we really thought that you were the chosen ones and maybe could potentially like continue to represent the ACC like in a New Year's Six type of bowl this year. Whoops. Whoops. Don't give up 60 60- – don't don't give up sixty three uh, to a team hailing from College Park. Yeah, that's going to struggle to make a bowl game on their own potentially. So, oh yeah, um, I don't have much to add other than what you just mentioned. But Miami, come on, come on, Miami. Yeah, like hopefully it gets better during your home games because neutral site and road games are not working out for you so far. It's not going great. It is not going great. Um, Player of the week, Mike. I think it's got to be Sam uh, Sam Howell for North Carolina. Performed well in a big win and, I mean, continues to look really, really good early in his career and, and I think sooner than we thought he would. Um, ACC Player of the Week, Sam Howell, 16-24, 274, two scores. That's a real strong performance to get you to a win against a team that you were, uh, you were a home underdog to. Gunslinger, Sam Howell. Oh, yeah, he's slanging it. Yeah. Slanging it at all times. Um they're starting to use him really well, too. It's a crazy how comfortable he looks in that offense here sure. just two weeks into his college career. Um, I, I'll be looking out for some of these uh, prom references that people are going to try to make. Oh, he was at the prom just a year ago. Um, <laughs> Soon. Anytime there is a true freshman quarterback, that is the stereotypical announcer thing to say. So, for sure. Uh, congratulations to Sam Howell, our player of the week. Team of the week. This is going to sound really, really chalk, Mike, but I think we got to go with the Clemson Tigers with a, a huge win in a, uh, a big national spot. They looked really good against a, a pretty damn good Texas A&M team. Yeah, we gave it to North Carolina last week. I think it's only fair we give it to Clemson this week because Clemson, again, like they don't have to be at their best, and they're still going full war machine mode, and we're just getting started. This is going to be mm-hmm. a very, very, very good team this year. So got to be Clemson for what they did national spotlight on you to to win that game as convincingly as they did despite the final score looking close this game was never competitive yeah uh, it really wasn't um so good on clemson to do that um mike i think that's all i've got anything else before we work on getting out of here i think we're good man on to week three preview and we're just getting rolling here there are a lot of interesting games that are coming up here over the next few weeks that we'll learn a lot about the acc with so looking forward to that we certainly will. Yeah, definitely keep it tuned here. we got a lot of good content coming for you here in the, the coming weeks. Uh, we are going to get out of here. We do have week three to come back and preview. That'll hit um, probably sometime mid to late in the week. So um, stay tuned here and keep and keep an eye out for those things. Um, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And um, I'm going to go ahead and, and tweet out a picture of that Go ACC moment of the week uh, from the BC Podcast ACC account. If you want to see what we're talking about with like Florida State's offensive shenanigans and, and the whole go ACC nature of that. So 
go check us out at BC Podcast ACC and hit the follow button while you're there if you want to see the Go, go ACC moment of the week. Um, Mike, they can send us their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly on the Anchor platform. Uh, we are in all those places. Go hit the subscribe button and uh, make sure you're getting all of our stuff as we uh, as we upload it. Because, um, again, we will continue coming back and, and previewing and recapping all these games we go through the season. So really yes, appreciate sir. those who have and, and all the listens. Um, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yep, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all your podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Um, I think that's all I got, Mike. Anything else before we head out? No, I think we're good, man. On to week three. On to week three is right. Uh, more more weirdness to come, so keep it tuned here. Uh, you want to come back and preview week three soon? For sure, man. Let's do it. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Yeah!